Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and with me again is editor-in-chief Jill Manoff. Jill, we missed you the last two weeks, but now you're back. I'm back. Happy to be here. Yes, and uh, Zofia did a wonderful job um, filling in for you, uh, and I'm sure she'll be back on again. Um, but for today, we've got Jill with us, and we're going to be talking about a couple of fun things. So the first one we'll talk about, Alexander McQueen's mushroom-themed but curiously lacking in mushrooms show, which was on Tuesday night. We'll talk about Saks Off Fifth having its big rebrand. Um, I talked to them last week, and I have got I can share some of what I heard from them. And then finally, we'll discuss Abercrombie & Fitch having a new sub-brand that they've launched, which is a athletic focus, sort of an athleta, athleta kind of deal. Um, but to start, so Jill, Alexander McQueen had their show on Tuesday. I think it was in Brooklyn. Um, it was inspired by the natural world, according to creative director Sarah Burton. Um, so there was like mulch decorating the area and there were all the colors were inspired by mushrooms and um, there was a lot of talk leading up to it about mycelium which is like a mushroom based material and I may, I don't know if they ever actually explicitly said this or maybe I just like filled this in I thought the clothes were going to be made of mushrooms but that turned out to not be the case there was no mushrooms involved in the making of the clothes I mean, what what were you thinking? Like, who wouldn't think that? What? Why would right? you? Right, that's not just me. I'm not crazy. I I like thought that was the whole idea was that it was going to be like the mushroom collection. I mean, and it's this budding big category, mycelium faux leather. Like everybody, people are trying to figure out how to use it, incorporate it into their collections. We're seeing more and more some some companies dedicated to coming up with this leather and making it scalable for brands. Anyway. Nowhere to be found. There was a, no- yes. a notion, Sarah Burton said, well, no, 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 but 85% of the collection's materials are upcy- upcycled. So anyway, there's still some sort of a... Yeah, there's there's still something there. And like, I'm not trying to say it's like, you know, they made it out of like the worst materials in the world, but I, I thought that there was going to be a mushroom thing. And I think she did say that they, they want to do that in the future. And maybe that was the plan originally for this collection was that it would be made of mycelium. But I think they said that just like they didn't have enough or, or didn't have enough expertise with it or or whatever. Um, I, I feel like I've heard from a good amount of brands who have interest in um, alternative materials. Like it's it's not that easy or it's not like as easy as just swapping out, you know, real leather for like pineapple leather or something like that. Um, there, there's a little bit of a... a adjustment from what I've heard in terms of like design and cut and stuff. So I don't think it's like the easiest thing in the world to do, but still, I feel like the, you know, if you were not actually gonna, if this wasn't the collection where you debut the mushroom material, I feel like they should have gone with a different theme. Cause now when they do want to use it, they've already used up the mushroom theme for a show. You know? <laughs> What's the next theme? Yes. There was some incorporation of mushrooms. There were some cool kind of intarsia knit sweaters with, um, I guess, image an image of a mushroom kind of woven throughout mm-hmm. um and yeah it, it, the whole thing was a little bit kind of uh, i don't know some conflicting <laughs> um conversations happening where you would think it would be very it's it's inspired by um it's like this earthy theme and then there are these very like i don't know it wasn't really earthy colors it was like bright reds bright greens which mm-hmm. maybe you see in nature but it's just not what anyone really expected um but 
a-okay. There was a lot of talk about how Alexander Lee McQueen had two shows in New York in the past. Um, they're mm. a London-based brand. And really, um, the shows in 1996 and 99 were really these like statement brand-defining moments. Um, and yeah, maybe it wasn't about doing the expected. It was about trying something entirely new. And yeah, let's let's get them talking like we are today. <laughs> Well, yeah, it worked. I mean, we're dedicating a whole section of this podcast to it. I do think that um, there's a little bit of da- I-, I don't think this was the intention, but I think the effect, there's a little bit of like, if you theme something around some sort of sustainable, natural thing, and then you're like not actually doing it, like, I feel like there's a pretty, that's pretty close to greenwashing, I would say. Um, I- again, like, they did use like, recycled materials and stuff. So it's not like, you know, total garbage but i just think if you're the the disconnect there is more than just like a funny like thing that there's no actual mushrooms i, I think it gets a little close to being um like using the credibility of of like the imagery of mushrooms without actually doing the thing but again we do know that they want to use the mycelium in the future they're just not there yet but um yeah. we'll believe it when we see it i guess but um yeah i wonder exactly. if there's some if there's something there um in regard to like these ultra high luxury brands and and their embrace of, of a faux material i know that like this is ages ago and we've come a long way baby but like with stella mccartney where she would do um mm-hmm. yes faux leather and people would be like you know why am i spending this much for a bag that's that's not real like what am i buying is it i don't know what is this material um and and now it's like you you buy into the brand it's not all about all all about that um and it's definitely quality but yeah i wonder if there's some snobbery still left there but then why would you highlight mushroom anyway it's it's really interesting (laughs) and and one more point on that is like I think uh, not every luxury brand does this, but I think for a lot of them, part of the pitch is like, we're experts with the material. We have expert craftsmen. Like we're we're the best at like construction, constructing these pieces. So it's like the excuse of like, oh, it's a new material. We don't really know how to, it's like, yeah, but like, isn't your whole thing is that you've got like the best people um, making the best stuff. You know, you should be able to, a more than than a less expensive brand you if your pitch is that our clothes are so expensive because we have like these highly skilled artisans making you know working with the best material you should be able to make that transition so i do think again not to single out alexander mcqueen too much or like make them sound totally like cynical but i do think that there's a little bit of a delaying tactic sometimes with big companies where like, oh, we're just about to do this big sustainable thing. It's like, we're just, you know, we're not there yet. You know, we just had to do this one with like not sustainable materials. Um, I was just gonna say, I feel like that's that's common is, is like wanting to talk about something before you've actually gotten there. And for me, I'm like, just, if you're not there yet, then save it, you know? Yes, exactly. I, I know, um, Somebody that I've talked to in the past, um, Mirko, I can't think of it, the founder of his last name behind O2 Mond, but he sustainable vegan leather shoes and um, came out of all of these um, well-known fashion brands as a footwear designer. And he does um, put in the time, put in the work and has, like you mentioned, I think pineapple uh, Mm -hmm. leather and and materials. Um, And yeah, just, I guess, had a breakaway in order to make a go of it and do what he wanted to do in a sustainable way. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe there's something there. Um, it is a caring owned brand. It's not known for, I mean, there are innovative forward caring brands, but, um, yeah, maybe some of the old rules still apply. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay, so let's talk about Saks. Uh, so this week, um, Saks Off Fifth announced, they kind of put it out there that there was going to be a big rebrand of the company, a refocusing on a younger consumer. Um, I talked to their CEO and CMO last week, and they, they told me a lot about the market research they had done. They talked to like 5,000 people and determined that they needed to get sort of a, a younger audience, especially since they spun off the online side of the business from the rest of Saks. Um, although from what Jill told me, I, it sounds like they have, it's still very interwoven, like they have the same marketing team, even though the online business is separate or I don't know how it all works, but anyway. Um, so they're adding a ton of new brands. I think they added like 300 new brands this year already. And it was like, they're gonna add a ton more. Um, a lot of money going into marketing. They have like a big ad buy with Peacock, the streaming service they, th this month. Um, a lot of just like top of funnel stuff to shift the uh, framing of like what Saks Off Fifth is. Uh, Jill, when, when you think of Saks Off Fifth prior to all the new stuff they're doing, like what was your impression of it? Do you feel like it would be a place that's like hip and young and cool or, or like is it just like the outlet of Saks? Yeah, I never thought of it as cool, although I, I do like go in there, I would say. And that's why I, I get a little bit like, huh, I guess it's the new way. And it, and it's uh, you, brands, retailers are changing their online presence to be just as fun to shop or more so, I don't know, as it is in store. Really, you know, I don't love to shop off price stores online. I know very well that a lot of brands have rules about kind of um, prices that they'll put out there um, that are, you know, cheaper, more affordable than they're used to retailing, the retail price they're used to highlighting or spotlighting, even at a discount. There are more deals to be, treasures to be found in store. I don't think that it's the same online or it never was prior. I do know that more retailers are putting more effort here, particularly as we found during the pandemic, um, a lot of off-price stores like TJ Maxx, like they were not bringing in any revenue when stores closed because they didn't have an online presence. And so that was that. They just kind of sat back for a little bit. So um, it's clearly important. Clearly, Gen Z loves to shop online and loves a deal. And so this is a very appealing category for them. Um, so it makes sense to target them. Yeah, and it it does seem like from what they told me, they they said that like Omni Channel was a big part of what they were doing. That I, I think they I don't know if they said this explicitly, but it sounds like there is a lot of crossover between online and offline. Like a lot of people do both. Um, they said buy online, pick up, and store is something they're adding soon, and that's like uh, some uh, in the market research they said that came up like all the time was people asking about that. They're adding a loyalty program. They're also adding a bunch of new payment types, which I I think is like like stuff like Cash App and things like that, um, which from my understanding is, is pretty popular with like Gen Z and younger, younger people. So, um, yeah, the, the online offline stuff I think is very interesting because for me, I've only ever shopped tax off fifth in person. Like I've looked online and I felt like the experience was not great. Like I kind of like, I, I couldn't tell like what stuff looked like the, the photography was not that great. And then I'd like the inventory was sort of hard to dig through and it was just so much easier to go there and just look myself, but apparently a, a lot of people go back and forth. Like, I think there's a pretty strong um, movement between the two. Yeah, definitely the rebrand. Like you said, some of these 
newer bells and whistles, but it's really focused on this new marketing campaign, making it more digital savvy. Um, Some of that digital savviness is really centered on um, things that we've written about that Gen Z is really um, taking to. For instance, um, they're focusing on an app, which they've had close to a million downloads since it recently um, launched. And that will give notifications like flash sales and when something that um, an item that a shopper has been looking at has been eyeing, like um, when it goes, you know, more affordable, they get a notification. It really speaks to that Gen Z, um, I guess, price driven shopping um, habit. So I think that that makes sense. I don't know about the marketing campaign. It's it's moving from this tagline of sex style for less to where fashion takes off. And it's mm-hmm. more about... Um, they acted like this was a new concept. Maybe they're like there are again traditional rules about in marketing. Um, high end retailers show a head to toe look like a all Versace or all Gucci, but um, they talked about a move to kind of mixing and matching brands to show like you can show off your form of self expression by shopping at Saks Off Fifth, which I think that um, anybody shopping off price really is a mixer and a matcher anyway. <laughs> so that makes yeah. Sense. If you're if you're shopping off price, you're kind of just like you said, you're like hunting for treasures and you're not going to find like a head to toe treasure. You'll you'll find like pieces. Um, The other thing they told me is that they're going to be doing a lot of like in store like event kind of things. They did like a Women's History Month um, panel recently with like a bunch of uh, experts in in women's like healthcare and wellness. Um, They did like a pop up that sort of recreates the spring online like marketing campaign in start like so there's going to be like i said just like a lot of crossover between those two worlds which again is interesting because it's like technically a separate business online so i don't know it, it's all very interesting and in it but i mean it seems like i mean it's, the online business alone is a billion dollars so i guess it's you know working out for them yeah um, and maybe they're kind of swooping in also uh, or maybe saw an opportunity we know that during the pandemic which was really shocking that nordstrom rack a competitor was um really struggling there was talk of nordstrom rack spinning off from nordstrom um and uh recently the most recent earnings that nordstrom reported um it was seeing an uptick in nordstrom rack sales um so there was a lot of you know movement uh in in the stock market and or you know it, and investors were excited about that um so they really owed the struggling factor to the to the fact that they had less inventory uh to stock the store because you know brands were really <laughs> holding on to it as as um supply chain issues were happening so I don't know. It'll be interesting to f- track both both Saks Off Fifth and Nordstrom Rack. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, as for, uh, the economy sucks, <laughs> if if I don't know if they get the supply, I, I think that they'll be in a good place. Yeah, definitely. Well, in a couple of months, I think that that will be a story you will probably see on Glossy.co. I, I would love to write that. Um, okay. Let's talk about our last story, which is Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, sort of a, a tumultuous brand, I feel like, in the last couple of years. I feel like I'm just like looking through recent coverage on on just like searching their name on Google News and scrolling through. It's like they have like their best quarter ever. And then it's like sales disappoint. It's it, it's going. And then there's like, wow, Abercrombie's cool again. And then it's like Abercrombie's not cool. So I, it just feels very up and down. But um, on Wednesday, they announced a new sub brand that's called YPB, your personal best um, activewear athletic 
clothes, um, men's and women's, I believe. So very similar to Old Navy's like Athleta, I think. Um, it, it seems to me anyway that it's sort of serving the same purpose. It, I think if you just in, like started mixing in the kind of like performance material activewear into Abercrombie's normal catalog, I feel like that just like wouldn't fit. So they kind of made a separate little brand up. I don't think Abercrombie typically does a lot of sub brands though. So um, it's kind of a unique move for them. And Athleta I think has been very successful. So I guess that's the the template. Are they talking about opening YPB stores and making it, um, it's not just like under the roof of Abercrombie as this other title or other category? I have no idea what it is, but I immediately thought of um, American Eagle spinning off Airy, and now they have Offline, which is activewear, um, dedicated activewear. Um, and also just last week, Express, these are all you know, old school mall brands, um, OG mall brands. Um, they recently, within the last couple of years, spun off Up West, which is their direct-to-consumer brand. And just last week, they announced coming off of Up West, they're spinning off a brand called Go, which is activewear. So it's like, to me, because of the success of American Eagle and Aerie, um, I was just immediately thinking everybody's trying to tap into that model. But you're right. Athleta came first. Um, mm -hmm. But no, Aerie, but you're go ahead. You're right. You're right, too. I always forget about Up West. And I feel like this is like the fifth time you've reminded me that they exist. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the last couple of years, especially activewear has been such a huge category. And like so many people who don't make activewear have tried to get in on it. And it seems like the sub brand um, path is like kind of a good way to do it. Um, and the other thing is that uh, Abercrombie, like, like you said, they're like a classic mall brand and they've always been sort of like teen focused. Um, but recently there's they've you know they started doing stuff on tiktok they've started to cultivate like that kind of younger gen z sort of audience similar to what we we're just talking about with sax off fifth and like um that I, I that to me that just like sort of fits with with that goal of like bringing in that audience because actor is big there too yeah i feel like um airy had a good advantage i've talked to um their jennifer foil from from the company a lot um and mm -hmm. she I, they definitely got in early in the activewear space. Um, and right now, I there was a stat that um, Aries Intimates at one point made up 60% of their total sales. Now it's 31%. And that um, activewear was, um, you know, I think up to 20% of Aerie, um, Aries revenue. Um, but she, she talked a lot about really um, becoming the experts or the leaders in a category before moving on. Um, so they mm -hmm. dominate in denim. It's like a top five, um, according to, um, I think, revenue, um, according to NPD. And then now, then it was lingerie. And I think they were at the number, Aerie was the number two player um, after third. No, 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 no. It, it maybe up there with up there with third love and um mm -hmm. just behind victoria's secret or, or top three so um Somewhere she was talking yeah she was talking about becoming this like leader authority in a space and then then moving on and and really um answering all the needs of the shopper um but in in a thoughtful slow way so you're seeing all this growth and movement like just today i know that like banana republic launched another category um they just launched baby now they're launching um like a, it's called active or athlete or uh, 
something that I thought it was going to be active wear, but it's actually more kind of like old school preppy wear, um, which is not a huge like departure from what they do on the daily. Um, but just interesting in terms of the expansion and the rat there, uh, the other brands, it doesn't seem like are moving quite as slow and thoughtful, I would say, and maybe there's danger there. Yeah, definitely. And, and Abercrombie, I think, is definitely a little bit on the later side, I think, in getting into active wear. Um, but again, they are also like a billion dollar company, I think, annually. So it's not like they're, you know, a scrappy underdog. If they want to get into active wear, I think they have the resources to do it. Um, but yeah, I think between up west and and um, like American Eagles active wear stuff and Athleta and, and now YPB, all these like sort of um, active wear sub brands, I think will be interesting to watch as they all sort of like jockey against each other. Um, any final thoughts on Abercrombie? No, I, I, I'm with you. Like they, they're definitely a, an authority in denim. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll, they'll do it, put the, put as much focus in, into the active wear category. I'm, I'm interested to see as well. And gosh, yeah. then again, how many active wear brands do we need? <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. And that's why I say that they're like a little late to it. I just don't, I feel like the market is getting a little saturated, but, um, but who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm trying not to make like two uh, concrete predictions, like maybe, uh, uh, Abercrombie's going to like dominate. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, $16 billion activewear market. I have this stat. So yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's huge. Like, so I think the line between like this, the line of saturation depends on the size and the demand, obviously. And there's still such huge demand for activewear. A lot of people are still working from home and stuff. Like I I think people that don't make activewear are constantly like, everyone wants to dress up again. And it's like, maybe to some degree, but there's so many people that still don't. So, um, but yes, let's, let's end it there. Um, I think that's all the time we have. This was so fun, Jill. It was so nice to have you back on the podcast with us. And for those of you listening, uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. It really helps a lot. And if you are not subscribed already, you should subscribe because not only will you hear me and Jill or possibly me and Sophia talking about the news of the week every Friday, on every Wednesday, you will also hear Jill talking to uh, some fantastic industry insider talking about interesting stuff. Um, who's who's on next week, Jill? Do we know yet? Yeah, next week we've got uh, Melissa Mash and Deepa Gandhi. They are the CEO and COO and founders of Dagny Dover, who you know well. They're so great. Yes, yes, I do. That's exciting. Okay, well, I'll be looking forward to that. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>